let me ask you, do you move well, eat well, and sleep well? Do you feel that modern medicine is looking out for your best interest? Do you know how to take care of your body so you can stay pain-free and in the activities you love? Do you know what options you have? If not, that's a problem, and this podcast is the answer. I'm Trevor Folter, and welcome to the Green Bay Health Project Podcast. The Green Bay Health Project Podcast is sponsored by Movement Performance and Rehabilitation, where we help the athletes and active adults move better, perform better, stay pain-free, and in the sports and activities that they love. We do this by focusing on their movements and optimizing their mobility, stability, and strength. Your body is your greatest tool, and when you move better, you feel better, and you thrive. So head to movementgb.com, that's mvmtgb.com, to learn how we can help you stay active and pain-free for life. going on guys welcome back to the green bay health project podcast today we're sitting down um, with nick kip owner of Honorbound fitness coach there um you know we're not going to get too deep into his uh background but if you do want to hear more about him Honorbound, uh definitely check out um the prior podcast episode we did i believe it was episode um 47 or something like that so you can definitely uh jump back and check it out but um Nick posted something on his personal page and then onto his Autobound um, group fitness page, and it got a lot of interaction. So we thought it might be cool to jump on and dissect it a little bit more and try to give some helpful tips and calm some people down because there were some good questions, some good conversation on that post, at least from what I saw. Like a lot of people were question marks or like calories in, calories out questions. It was it was interesting. So hey, welcome back, man. Hey, thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited. Um, well, yeah, I posted that. Go ahead. Things. Let me just, I guess, kind of broad you jump in and then let's pick it apart however you want. Yep. As a fitness professional, I know that I get to be on the front lines of the general population fitness. And I feel like a bunch of these things, there's some truth in many of these comments. There's some obviously contradictions and there's some pseudoscience, I would argue, in some of these. But I think there's a huge amount of confusion in the general population for fitness because there are so many conflicting results. Mm-hmm. And I own a gym, so I guess I kind of want to start by saying this. I wish that I could tell you guys that Honorbound Fitness has found the magic secret and our program is guaranteed to give everybody results the quickest, fastest, and easiest way possible. Yeah, it's like those five, 10-day winners, right? Right. And if, if I could do that, that'd be awesome because then I could make millions of dollars getting everybody to come to my gym because we're the one that's got the secret. The reality is there is no secret. Mm -hmm. You can get results doing Zumba. You can get results doing boot camp. You can get results doing CrossFit. You can get results doing going to the gym with a personal trainer. You can get results working out with a DVD. You can get results going for a jog every day or a walk every day by yourself. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, with a multi-billion dollar industry, that doesn't make us money saying that. So I feel there's a certain element of, for honest, for lack, a better word, lack of honesty in the industry. We kind of, you know, again, and it's been maybe even exaggerated by the amount of social influencers we have out there where, you know, just kind of pumping these little promos out and giving these little tidbits out. And sometimes there's truth in those tidbits, but then people take them like, oh, I just got to do this, you know, do this 10 minute a day leg workout and I'll have legs like Carrie Underwood. Um, <laughs> yeah, not so much. <laughs> yeah. And that's, 
I think that's what's interesting about it. Like I read it and um, I totally agree. It's like, you see so many videos of people like do these, um, you know, ab, this ab routine three days a week. And in 30 days, you're going to have the cut six, eight pack. And it's like, <laughs> yeah, okay, like let's do it. And then let's look and compare it's, it's, it's maddening. I think the influence, the, there's so much information out there. I think it's almost too much. And again, people, like you said, people look for the quick fix, the quick turnaround, and they see these people doing it. And they're, I mean, they don't get those types of results because kind of what you said before we hit the record button, which we should have started earlier, <laughs> was uh, that they don't see the the behind the scenes work that those people are doing to get those results. So um, it's, it's definitely a problem. And I, I just think the general person doesn't know where to turn to or what's correct or what's wrong. Or, and the unfortunate answer is it's not as simple as that. Like, it's, that's not how it works. Exactly. I mean, you and I both know this, right? The supplement industry is a multi-billion dollar industry. That's kind of, you know, an add on to the fitness industry, but supplements alone are a multi-billion dollar industry because people are looking for a quick fix. And sometimes it's not even just a laziness thing. It's a, I've tried everything. Nothing has worked. I don't know what else to do. I hear this commercial saying, you know, take this fat burner supplement and it'll help you lose weight and I've tried everything else. So what not? Cause I think sometimes again, we fitness professionals do a disservice and we, we look at someone who maybe is struggling with their own fitness and think that well, they're lazy or they don't care. That's not even always the case. Again, sometimes I think it's like you said, there's so much information out there and it's, not just the fitness, like the, I feel like the whole world has kind of conspired against that. It's the going into the grocery store and seeing enriched wheat flour, then this is healthy for you. And if you actually look at what that means, it means basically we took everything of any value out of it and then we added some back in. <laughs> right. right. And so people like, again, if you're not going to, if this is not your career, right? I have a, if you have a full-time job doing whatever, who's got time to study out all this stuff about nutrition and science to counteract all the little snippets you're getting off of Instagram? Mm-hmm. And then you get into the yo-yoing of, you know, I'm going to try this for two weeks. Oh, I didn't get those results. So I'm going to switch. And it's, then you just, you're guessing and you don't know what's working, what's not. You might see the quick results like keto. Awesome. You see quick results in three or four weeks. And then you add a little bit of carbs and everything just goes right out the window. And it's, people don't know what to do. People don't know what to do when that happens. And I think that's that fad dieting. And, you know, the short answer is find what works best, but that's also the hardest answer to, to, find, to find for people. So um, you know what I'm going to do? I think I have that image pulled up. Maybe I will just, let me read it. And then we can kind of, cause, cause what you were saying was they contradict one another, some of those statements. And I think it will give a good, a good general base for the conversation. And we can answer some of those questions that your members were asking. Um, awesome. so I'll just read it quick. Bear with me. Um, the, the picture says, or if you want to check out the post, like definitely go, go follow Nick and Honorbound. but, um, eat five small meals per day and run also eat only breakfast and dinner and walk <laughs> also eat lot eat lots of protein and lift don't and don't even do any cardio it's bad for your joints also don't eat too much protein and make sure you're sleeping a lot but don't be sedentary but don't be too active it's bad for your blood pressure make sure you replace all your lost salt but never eat too much sodium it's easy just eat vegetables don't eat potatoes though or corn <laughs> fruit is obviously good for you and it's also all sugar and is bad for you Sugar, I forgot to mention, is a vital source of quick-burning carbohydrates that your brain needs to survive, and you should avoid it at all costs. Protein is hurting your kidneys. Make sure you eat a lot of, make sure you eat a lot of it. 
drink water. Never starve yourself unless you're calling it intermittent fasting, and then it's okay to starve yourself a little bit. Don't overhydrate. Being vegan is obviously the healthiest lifestyle, and also, no, it's not. Fish is obviously super good for you, and it's full of mercury and killing you. Get some sun every day for vitamin D and skin cancer. There's a lot. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, whoever put that was very smart in putting a lot in one little paragraph. Yeah, absolutely. So some of the questions, um, I I guess, what are your overall thoughts of that first? I think my overall thoughts are there are some parts in there that have some serious truth in them. There's some that I would, again, argue, like we said, pseudoscience. I think two things. I think number one, what works for one person may not work for another one. If you kind of go back to when we started talking, and I'm just going to use this analogy because I hear this a lot at the gym, right? I hear people say all the time, I like legs like Carrie Underwood. We talk about her a lot at our gym because she probably doesn't know this, but she has a big crush on me. <laughs> and uh, so we'll talk about that. And you know, we'll talk about like, oh, you know, I seen on this magazine, you know, do these 10 leg exercises twice a week and I'll have legs like Carrie Underwood. And I'm like, well, again, with all the respect in the world, she's one of my favorite artists in the world, right? Carrie Underwood also has a personal trainer, a personal chef, zero financial stress. I tell people, like, you also have to look at the fact, um, you can't have someone that walks in and says, I've had, you know, four kids, I've been overweight by 150 pounds half of my life and think that four leg exercise is going to get you there. Mm-hmm. And so people come in with this really missed idea of what it's going to take to get them there. And then, like you said, so then they try something and it doesn't work for two weeks. So then they try something else and it doesn't work. And they give up before they would ever actually even see results. So the reason I bring that up is because I think, and like I said, there's a lot of truth in those points where the problem is, is when you do one thing for two weeks and you're like, oh, that didn't work. So let me try the other side of it for two weeks. Right. Oh, that didn't work. And so it's no different. Again, going back to our gym comment in the beginning, most gyms can get you results. But if you go to the gym for two weeks and out of those two weeks, you only go twice a week. So you got four workouts and you're like, well, this format or this program doesn't work. Right. And then you jump to another one and well, this one doesn't work. And pretty soon you're burned out and you've got no results. And so I would say that one, you have to find out what works for you, but to find out what works for you, you have to have a little bit of patience. You have to be willing to try it for a little while. Mm-hmm. Two, going back to the career and everything, you also, as much as I hate to say this, genetics do play a part into some of this. The reality is um, no matter how much I train, I'm not going to beat Usain Bolt at a hundred meter dash. <laughs> really? Um, I thought you might. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Um, and so again, not that people shouldn't train to be the best version of themselves. I'm a huge believer that we should always be striving to be a little bit better, you know, Mm -hmm. but I guess the the biggest point I would make in that is understanding that fitness should be about our health first and foremost, and then our performance second. Mm -hmm. And the reason I say that is because I think sometimes people look at advice that, oh, Michael Phelps did this when he was swimming in the Olympics. Well, yeah, but if we dialed in and looked at one, his overall base level of fitness, where he was at, way superior to where many of us are starting at. And then the things he was doing were meant to get every last 1%, 1.1% of his performance out. The average person doesn't need to do that. You know, the average person shouldn't be spending eight hours a day training and then trying to work an eight hour day job and then try to be mom and dad on top of that. Mm-hmm. And so when you're like, well, this worked for Michael Phelps or this worked for CrossFit champion so and so or marathon, you know, all those things. So I would argue, first of all, guys, make sure you know your goal is, are you just looking for the ideal level of general health and fitness? Because health and fitness and fitness and performance are two completely different things. And I think in this post, some of these things, I would argue, they may give an athlete that last 0.1% advantage, right? but they may not give you the best level of just health and happiness and living that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's what's, 
I don't know. There's a lot to unpack in this post. <laughs> I, I think people just get confused again. Like it's what's best or what's not. And I think patience is the key. Um, and people will work out hard, but if you also eat poorly, like you're not going to see the results as well. So like they go very, go very hand in hand with one another. Um, I think one of the comments I saw on that post was a uh, calories in versus calories out. Like, I think that's a hot talking point. Do you have any thoughts on that? <clears throat> yeah, I probably have a lot of thoughts. About- <laughs> it's a, we it's a, we got to flirt with the line here, I think. I would say that there's some truth to calories in and out again. Um, and this is where it can get into those kind of gray areas where people want to try to make hard, fast rules. I think sometimes people want to make it black and white when it's really gray. Mm-hmm. Is it hard to lose weight if you're not in a calorie deficit? Yes. Mm-hmm. Almost. Possible. Now, having said that, are all calories created equal? You can argue that in the calories in and calories out. Yes, but I would say no. And, mm-hmm. and here's my reason why. I have a number of athletes who are trying to lose weight, and I would argue that they are under eating. Right. Their calorie defi- deficit is too low. And so they're mm-hmm. actually not losing weight, even though they're in a calorie deficit. Mm-hmm. And if we would bring their calorie up, and this, this is, I think, where this post went wrong. So I want to be careful not to do to make the same mistake. Mm-hmm. But sometimes someone's trying to find an analogy to help people understand and they make that analogy and then people turn that analogy into a hard, fast rule. Right. But so, so bear with me. This is not a rule. This is an analogy that will break down at some point. (laughs) When I look at my phone's battery power, when it gets down to about 10%, it gives me a little warning and says, warning, low battery, battery saving mode engaged. So what does that mean? My screen dims down a little bit. It shuts off non-essential functions in the background. Mm -hmm. And it tries to make that last 10% last as long as possible. I'd argue that when we're calorie deficit is too low, our body does the exact same thing. Mm -hmm. And so people are like, well, you know, does it slow your metabolism? Yeah, and we could dig into some really deeper science stuff, but I'm trying to keep it simple. What it's doing is your body is an amazing machine and the brain's primary focus is to keep you alive. Mm -hmm. And it knows it needs X amount of energy just to keep the lights on. And so it's going to shut down all these non-essential functions. So when your calories are so low that your body's saying, hey, I need 100 calories just to survive, and you just burned 100 calories in the gym, and you gave me 50 calories total in food, I'm in this massive deficit. So don't even worry about repairing the biceps that we just broke down in the gym. Just make sure that the lungs keep functioning and the brain keeps functioning. And so it goes into battery saving mode. It dims the lights. Mm-hmm. Sometimes even, I'd argue this way. Some people tell me, I just have no energy. I feel so sluggish. I would argue that the body putting itself into mm-hmm. battery saving mode. Mm-hmm. Could we argue some semantics? There's some other things. Like I said, this analogy will break down at points. I know that. <laughs> but that's why calories in and calories out is not as simple as people make it sound. Because they're like, well, I'm trying to lose weight and I, and I want to lose 20 pounds. Or I went to the gym and they told me 10 pounds in 30 days and I want to do this. So I'm only eating 500 calories a day. And I'm like, well, you're eating 500 calories a day and your body needs 900 calories a day just to sit on the couch, mm-hmm. you know, and you know, we're at the BMR, the basal metabolic rate. So I mean, we could, and so we're, so, so yes, there's some truth to calories in and calories out, but there's more truth to what is your lifestyle need to function at its best. Again, going back to that health parameters, are you at a healthy body weight? If you are, how much of a deficit do we want you at? Even if you're at an unhealthy body weight, how much of a deficit do we want? And then, even going further than just the deficit, what are you getting those calories from? Because what's a bag of Doritos? I mean, right. 150 calories a serving and there's 
five servings in the bag of Doritos. And I don't know if you've ever tried it, but I'm quite proud of the fact that I can finish an entire bag of Doritos in one sitting all by myself. <laughs> yeah. That's not true. I'm not proud of that at all. But um, I don't think we look at that because that 150 times five, right? We've had 700 calories in that bag of Doritos. But if we've given our body anything, it actually needs nutrient-wise. Exactly. And so, yes, calories in, calories out. You're like, well, I only had 750 calories in a bag of Doritos. I didn't have anything else today. So I'm in a calorie deficit and I'm still not losing weight. Yeah, again, your body's really struggling because it doesn't have any protein. It doesn't have, right? I mean, so that's why I think the calories in, calories out is not the perfect answer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I totally agree with that. I We, we get that question sometimes too. I, I've had... Um people come in and be like, I'm eating 500, like you had said, literally they told me I'm eating 500 calories and I don't know why I feel so sluggish on my run or why I'm not losing weight. And it's that, that cal- all your body is going to do is go into reserve mode and it's going to store things and you're not going to lose weight at that restriction. And, you know, like you said, we could go into the weeds, um, which would kind of be fun, but uh, <laughs> we don't need to. I think it's the sources of your food. Um, are you eating processed or are you eating good whole foods? Are you in a calorie deficit for a little time? And then are you going to do a refeed? I think a lot of people will plateau when they're on such a massive calorie deficit for so long. Um, and most of the time it's very drastic. So they, they, like you said, they lose that quick weight, but then they stay in it and your body inevitably is going to plateau be like, Hey, I got to stop burning so many calories because I'm not getting refed the amount that I need. And then they're like, well, I'm not losing any more weight. It's like, well, yeah, I mean, that's just how it goes. So I, I think like, this is what works for me. If I am trying to do like a cut or something, I'll do a slow cut at a 10% deficit with a refeed twice a week where I just kind of up the calories. I don't double it, but I go higher than what I'm doing because then that spikes things right back up and then you can go back down and it's, there's nothing wrong with that. And then you don't, you kind of don't plateau either. And you feel good. I mean, you're getting enough. I mean, you kind of talk about BMR. There's the whole like total daily energy expenditure, like which you kind of said, 900 calories just sitting on the couch. <laughs> like and people don't understand that. That's what you need to function. And you're giving yourself 500 calories and you're wondering why you're not losing weight. Yeah. I, uh, I read an interesting study by Joel Jameson from eight weeks out, arguably one of the foremost leaders on conditioning. Mm-hmm. And I have to go back and look, because I probably should tell you this about being able to right off the top of my head cite my source. But one of his articles, he had talked about a study that was showing that there was, there was indications that we may have a genetic ceiling to how many calories our body can process in a day. Mm-hmm. He said, so what he's arguing was, if the most energy your body is capable of is 5,000 calories a day, and you do a 5,500 calorie a day workout, you're going to put yourself in a 500 calorie hole that there is no recovery from, even if you eat 6,000 calories. Mm-hmm. And he said... His argument that kind of I'm taking a big paper trying to condense it down so we don't spend two hours on a paper, right? (laughs) Was that when that happens, people are doing this all the time. They're way over training, combining with the fact that we're under recovering, you know, under fueling, under sleeping with it. But he's like, you keep this deficit and this deficit and stuff. And the next thing you have these people who are like, I don't get it. I am working out three times a day and I'm not losing weight or I'm not getting faster. I'm not getting stronger. And his argument was this he's going on because he said, if if your ceiling is 3,000 calories, and you need 2,000 calories a day for just basic human functions, right? Your BMR, just for round numbers for math. And you, that means you have a 1,000 calorie window to play with. 
If you burn 1,200 calories in your workout, your body has to push its BMR down to 1,800 because you can't go above that 3,000 calorie ceiling. And so he's arguing, people are doing this over and over and over, and it's basically in the long run hurting their metabolism because their metabolism keeps getting learning to, sh- to, to go lower and lower to try to keep right. on that one. And, and which is, he said, in the long run, people start being, you know, they get burnout. You could argue with some of this stuff with, you know, the adrenal fatigue, you know, just your body's not used to functioning at this level because you're never letting it be at optimum. You're mm-hmm. driving your car around and the warning light comes on. So you go put two gallons in and you drive your car around, the warning light comes on, you put two gallons on, and you never find out what it's like to run with a full tank of gas. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and adrenal fatigue is a whole nother ball game that we, and like, what, what do people do? They, they get tired. So then they just pump themselves with caffeine. And what does that do into your system? And it's just, you're never going to recover. You're never going to sleep well. You're going to feel like crap all the time. Like, it's just what's going to happen. Exactly. I tell people, I got a couple of my gym, they're coming every day and they're, you know, drinking their energy drink. And I'm like, I don't even take a pre-workout and I'm not against pre-workouts, but I tell people, if you are so struggling that you need a pre-workout to get through your workout because you need the boost. Might you might need a nap more than you need a workout. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Uh, I mean, I consider myself a relatively high energy guy, and I, for the most part, consume zero caffeine. I'm like, again, I'll take one here once in a while. I'm like, and everybody will know it. Like, holy cow, Nick's bouncing off the walls. I'm like, yeah, that's because I had a sip of you know soda. I'm like, um, and if you like the taste of coffee, I'm not anti caffeine. Is that what I'm saying? I just yeah. tell people again, listen to your body and what your body's telling you again, because it might be telling you you're not getting enough caffeine or not getting enough caffeine. You're not getting enough calories in or you're not getting enough sleep and listen to all those pieces. And again, I think people would find that their results, both weight loss and performance would probably perf- improve if they started looking at some of those things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. It, Do you have something else? No, I, think, I think the other challenge is like bonfire, right? If we have this big roaring fire and we throw logs and it just keeps going more and more, you, you can put more wood in and it still burns it up. And then if we let it go come almost down to just the last log or two and you can get just those emblems, that one log will take forever to burn. Because there's no, and there's a certain amount of that's, that still ties back into that calories in, calories out. You can put more calories in when the metabolism is a roaring, raging fire. Mm-hmm. And so I've talked to you like, Nick, it's not fair. You could eat an entire frozen pizza at a sitting and not gain weight. And I'm like, mm. yes. And I would argue that my metabolism runs relatively high because I stay active. I'm not in a calorie deficit. Now, having said that, I don't eat a frozen pizza every day. And that's that other part of it then kind of trying to bring this to a full circle Calories in, calories out is part of the equation. What those calories are made of is another big part of the equation. Yep. And so I personally think food should be, I hate to say it, it should be fun. Like it's a big social thing. How many times do you have friends over for, for supper? I mean, like that's mm-hmm. part of our culture. That's, I mean, mental health, I would argue, even comes into this. Like, you know, so when I'm at a friend's house, I don't want to feel guilty because we're having pizza and I'm eating a couple extra slices of pizza that day. And I love pizza. When I started my career, I made a statement to one of my, you know, instructors that I was getting my certification to. I'm like, if I have to give up pizza and Buffalo wings to be a fitness professional, I'm not interested. <laughs> and I would tell people that to this day, I still probably have pizza or wings once a week. Now, having said that I used to have pizza and wings like five times a week. So, and I think that's the other part going back to this, when people try to make things such hard, fast rules and there's no deviation from it, that's when you fall off the wagon and you fall off hard then like no chocolate. And so I don't have chocolate. I don't have chocolate. I walk past, you know, the chocolate kisses in the pantry and I talk back and find them like, I can't take it anymore. So I eat the entire bag of chocolate kisses. And so I took studies have shown again, the results between eating 80, 20, you know, clean to the, mm-hmm. and the results of eating 95, five mm-hmm. are minuscule and different. Mm-hmm. Again, 
outside of Michael Phelps and you're trying to win the Olympic gold medal. Right. I mean, if you're going to try to be the number one swimmer out of the 8 billion people on the planet, yeah, maybe you need to be at the 95.5. <laughs> but if you're just trying to live healthy and, and active and, 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 and still have, you know, a good 5K or a good deck or whatever it is that you do for fun, you know, fitness-wise, you can do that and still have your pizza or your cheesecake or your cupcake or whatever and stuff. Maybe not every single day, but not depriving yourself so much that, well, I can't because, again, if you're on a – using our number we talked about, if you're on a 500-calorie a day, you have one cupcake. You're done eating for the day. Mm-hmm. And then you're like, oh, you know, I didn't have any protein. You know, so I think that people have to understand that watch what those calories are made of as much as how many calories I'm eating. So you know, if you're going to eat a big steak and have you know some good source of protein or, again, whatever – I wouldn't stress so much about the calories in. As a matter of fact, I think if we would teach ourselves to just stop eating when we're full, yes, eat maybe a little bit slower because many times I think we end up eating and we think we're still hungry because we haven't even given our body time to catch up with what we just ate, right? Mm-hmm. I ate a couple pieces of pizza and I love it, so I'm going back for more. And then, and then what happens is about 15 minutes after we're done eating, we're like, oh, I ate too much. Mm-hmm. If we just simply avoided some of that, we could almost ignore the calories in, calories out. Our body would tell us. Mm-hmm. You're full, stop eating, you're hungry, eat again. Now, are there other triggers that we have to be aware of? Yep. Am I eating because I'm bored, not because I'm hungry? Um, my nutrition coach makes this great comment all the time about the difference between hunger and appetite. Like, are you actually hungry or are you just craving that? Like, she'll say, you know, you weren't even thinking about cheesecake until someone suggested that they had a really good turtle cheesecake at Cheesecake Heaven. And now all you can think about is cheesecake. So you're telling yourself you're really hungry. You're not. You were just craving that because of that. And that's very different than those, you know, kind of, for lack of a better word, those hunger pangs where your body is literally telling you, I'm hungry, go and eat something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think I'm super guilty of everything you just said. Like I can be very, very disciplined and almost to a fault. Like I can lock in and I don't do anything. But then if I have a little hit of chocolate or some, I, it's downhill, it's spiral. And I'm all in just because I was so strict for such a long time that it's not i don't i don't think it's sustainable personally like you can't be perfect all the time and i think if you give yourself a little bit of grace to be like hey i can eat well all week and i'll go out for pizza and ice cream saturday night or something like that and then get right back on track and you're gonna feel good you're not it's not doing anything our bodies are super adaptable and you're not gonna hurt yourself by doing that um in fact i think you keep yourself sane so. I would agree. You know what? I, I did 75 hard and this is not a plug for the program because there's, there's some reasons why I did it. I would argue there's some negative health connotations with it, but I would agree with that. Yeah. Um, but anyways, when I did it, just for example, my birthday fell in the middle of my 75 hard. And one of the rules of 75 hard is absolutely zero cheat. So mm-hmm. I couldn't even have a piece of birthday cake on my birthday. Mm-hmm. That's kind of the point I'm trying to get. Is that really how you want to live life for the rest of your life? Right. You know, like, um, and I saw people that did 75 hard and then as soon as they were done, you know, they're, Oh, I took off 15 pounds and 75 hard. And then when you check in with them two months later, Oh, I put it all back on because right. I went back to living normally. Right. And I would argue they should, they shouldn't have stayed on 75 hard. So that's not at all what I'm saying, mm-hmm. but here's the other part that I think people miss on that. And I've seen this over and over, especially when you talk into the big calorie deficits, the quick weight losses, if you lose 10 pounds in 30 days, there's a good chance that eight of that was fat and two of that was muscle. Because you probably were at such a low calorie deficit that, you, and then you go back to eating normal and you put ten pounds back on in the next thirty days. You didn't put two pounds of muscle back on. Right. 
So you could actually end up in a worse health scenario case or even a worse body fat percentage case because I went from eight pounds of fat and two pounds of muscle to now having 10 pounds of fat because of the way I put that back on and that kind of rebound slingshot thing. And if you do that over and over and over again, I mean, imagine doing that, you know, month in, month out over the course of three or four years, Mm -hmm. what that could do to you. And then again, that's not even touching on what that does to your hormones. Right. And I think that's a, that's kind of a nice plug for, I think, do you have a, uh, a lot of members that do fast, intermittent fast that you hear about? Um, well, two things. One, everybody does intermittent fasting. None of us eat while we're sleeping. (laughs) Nice. And so I tell people like, everybody does it. we just don't all do these drastic, again, crazy levels of it. Mm-hmm. The gym that I used to work at was really, really big on intermittent fasting. Okay. It was kind of their nutrition plan. And so I have a number of members who, who did intermittent fasting with that gym and got great results. Mm-hmm. And now they're like looking back saying, man, I would like to get back to, you know, that body weight, that shape, whatever. I should go back to intermittent fasting and doing that. I have a number of them who are finding that it's way harder this time around. Mm-hmm. And again, part of me would argue because of the hormones things that happen with the yo-yoing is part of that. So that triggered that thought in my mind to ask you about this when bringing up the hormones. Yep. So again, am I against intermittent fasting? No, because we all do it. We all, we should be getting seven to eight hours of sleep a night. Right. I mean, we realistically, so for seven to eight hours, you should not be eating. Mm -hmm. And do you have to eat the very first thing you get up? I tell people like one of the things I encourage my, like first thing you should do when you get up in my opinion, and this is not a rule, just a suggestion Mm -hmm. again, have a glass of water because more than likely, again, we live in a state of chronic dehydration. Mm-hmm. Have a drink of water, kind of get yourself moving. And then, you know, again, I'm again, I'm a big fan of breakfast. But for some people, again, it's not always feasible because going back to our list, right, when it talks about eat five meals a day and I think the first one, right? Yeah, and then the other one was five small meals per day and run. Also eat only breakfast and dinner and walk. <laughs> exactly. So I tell them, can you, if you're obviously in intermittent fasting, kind of get more into that just two meals a day kind of concept or whatever. And I'm like, it's the other rule, right? Nobody should ever skip breakfast. I know some elite athletes who don't eat breakfast. I'll be honest myself. My work day starts, I get up at 4.30 in the morning and I have to get to the gym at 5 o'clock in the morning. I don't want breakfast at 5 o'clock in the morning. I don't right. want to get up at 3.30 to eat breakfast. Now, I'll take a protein shake with me and probably you know, an hour into my day, I'll have that protein shake because I know I need to get some fuel in my body. Mm-hmm. But you could argue, Nick, you're not even needing most valuable. No. Here again, for me and my lifestyle, I'm going to get my... Coaching in, I get my workout in the middle there. When I come home at you know ten thirty after my first set of my workday is done, I frequently will make breakfast then. So I still get my eggs and stuff, and I just eat a little bit later. So that's why I tell them. Uh, I have some some nurses who work night shifts, right? How does that rule fit? Do they have to have breakfast most important meal of the day? Should they eat eggs? Because really, their breakfast is their supper. They're just finishing their workday, <laughs> uh, right? So I, th- I think all those things kind of play in. So long-winded answer to that intermittent fasting thing. We all do it, and there's time for that. But I think that if I if there was a magic pill to fitness and health, it's consistency. Mm-hmm. What's sustainable? Mm-hmm. If you can't keep it up long term, I'd argue that again, maybe from a performance standpoint, there's a place for it. But in a long term health and fitness, it's not. So if you can't live like that, eating like that long term probably not the ideal scenario. If you can't live like that training, if you're like, well, I can train like this when I'm 20, but you won't be able to train like that when you're 40. Mm-hmm. Is that really the ideal scenario? Right. Yeah. I think it's, and again, with like, we were kind of talking about all in all out or 85, 20 and all that stuff. And especially with fasting, people will go from not doing it to doing it like 24 hours. And they're like, this is, 
difficult and you got to start slow with it. I mean, there's, and then bringing it back to the hormone side of things with um, men and women, it's, it's a little different. I think women shouldn't like the ideal time is like 12 hours um, if you want to do it. And men for some of the stuff is like 16 to 18 hours. Just if you're trying to get the, the benefit, like cellular benefits of it. But uh, is that sustainable for what, you're trying to do or maybe you could implement that into one day a week like if you're working out saturday but nothing on sunday you want to get a little bit fast to kill off some of the cells and whatnot um do a short 12 16 hour one from saturday evening to sunday before you have a big breakfast or something like that like um i used to do 16 to 18 hours every day and that was tough i no longer do that <laughs> um but it was I mean, there's a lot of benefits to it, but what's sustainable for you and for the goals that you're trying to accomplish? I right. think consistency hit it on the head. Right, because I, I would argue, like you said, if you're a bodybuilder and you're going to cut weight for right before a competition, that's going to, again, affect, going back to our list, that might affect intermittent fasting would work for that. You might go really low carb for that season. I mean, like, again, all those things, how many of us are actually going to, we might look at the bodybuilder and say, I wish I had abs that pop like that, but one thing that I don't think people see is for one, that's their job. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so they don't have to deal with the stress of going in welding or flipping burgers, whatever for eight hours a day. Plus that. So when you look at it, yes, that's a scene, but even, even many of those guys, they don't stay at that level year round. It's in season, out of season. Again, you're right. We can talk about the bulking and cutting phase for a bodybuilder, or even if you watch some of the Instagram kind of, influencer models and stuff. There was a documentary on Netflix a while back and they were talking about like one of the guys said that he lost a photo shoot because he showed up and he was normally at whatever 4% body fat and he was at eight that, you know, until they went with someone else. But his whole point was we don't live at this 4% body fat. So the picture you see on Instagram isn't even what I look like. Right. 24, seven, 365. Outside of that picture they put on Instagram. Right. And so that again, Going back to that very beginning thing, this is what hurt, has hurt the fitness industry is people get these unrealistic expectations because they think I can live looking like this guy who arguably has great genetics, does have his nutrition down in for seasons of his life. And again, I would argue that for them, that is their version of performance. Mm-hmm. You know, you might maybe he's not trying to bench press a thousand pounds. Maybe he's not trying to win a DECA competition. He's trying to be at 4% body fat for this two month season of his photo shoots. Mm-hmm. So can he do something short term that maybe is not 100% ideal for his health? You can make the case going back to the walking and running. Is running hard on your body? Yes and no. Mm -hmm. And here's my reason why. There was a time a long time ago when we had to run for our food and run for our survival. So can the human body run? Yes. Is it hard on the body? Yes. I have one of the studies I said, you know, you put five times your body weight on your joints impact when you're running. So again, if you're overweight, especially, is that good for your body? I would argue probably not ideal for your joints. Mm -hmm. Uh, Matter of fact, our gym, I like to tell people that you should get in shape to run, not run to get in shape. Mm -hmm. Because there's a very big difference. Like if you're in shape and you've built up the the leg strength and the the mobility for your joints and you're in, then yes, you can run. Now, having said that, even if, right, I think he's, I don't remember his name, but the Iron Cowboy, the the famous... um, the guy who ran a uh, hundred iron mans or hundred fifty iron mans in 50 States in 50 weeks. So he went, to, if you watch a documentary, it talks about what it did to his body. I mean, it was, you know, it's the, um, 
be careful again. Nothing I'm saying is dissing on his lifestyle. I'm trying to think that we just, again, as an industry, we have to be honest. We have to start talking. If you want to accomplish these crazy goals, if you want to, you want to win, beat Michael Phelps record, you're going to have to spend eight hours a day in the pool. If you want to go do 50 Ironmans in 50 States, it's going to take a toll on your body and you're going to have to train and fuel a specific way. Arguably, even in some unhealthy ways, long-term from that, um, I have great respect for David Goggins, but do I think the average person should go out and run a marathon on a broken leg? No, I do not think from a health standpoint, you should do that. Mm-hmm. And that's the part of think again, of much of it sounds like I'm saying the same thing over and over. People have to understand the difference between health and fitness and performance for those reasons. Can you do intermittent fasting for this? Yes. But if it's not something you can sustain long-term, I would argue that it's probably not the ideal for health and fitness. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Absolutely. Um, what were your thoughts on, uh, I'm trying to think of other questions that I had seen from your members. Um, I don't know. And maybe this is a question for, uh, Jess, but do, what are your thoughts on like the carbs, proteins, fats, percentage of things like the macros? Um, do you guys do a lot of that tracking for your members? Cause that's um, so- part of this, like <laughs> don't eat carbs, don't eat sugar, blah, blah, blah. I would say that I'm I'm a big fan. Now, Jess is much better with our nutrition than I am. You know, she's got the certification stuff. So this is coming from the non-certified nutrition coach in our gym. I think my first foremost goal is I think that everybody puts the cart before the horse. Before you have to worry about am I getting 40% mm. and 30-30 because that's a very common split, yeah. right? 40 protein, 30-30. Before you worry about that, and like, oh, no, I got 35 and 25. Mm. Are you even just eating basic healthy? Are you drinking your water? Are you eating – I don't want to say as close to earth as possible because I get some people take that into a rule and make the min, the less processed, the better. Say, minimally processed to no processed stuff. Yeah. For right. Sure. So I mean, whatever that looks like for you, you know, like corn in the cob versus steak. I'm like, again, I, right. Go back to your post. Well, you shouldn't eat corn. <laughs> just say that in there. You're right. Right. You know, I get it. And, and I'm, I'm TMI, right. That's, there's some truth to that. Your body doesn't do much with corn. That's why when you eat it and when it passes through, it looks pretty much the same, right? Like, um, but I was talking to someone once and they were um, they were arguing that they wanted to go completely like really low carb. And I'm like, well, what are you gonna eat then? Beans. I'm like, well, mm-hmm. beans are a carb. Mm-hmm. Like, that's why again, I think sometimes people like what triggers in our mind, we think carbs, we think bread and pasta. Yep. But I would argue again, there are some carbs in vegetables. Mm-hmm. I don't know, what's a carrot? Yep. You know, what's a banana? Maybe in a better one. Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, every runner knows we should eat bananas. That's why we give them away after every single race. <laughs> carb yep. it's not a, it's not a protein not really a fat so um so my first argument would be let's just see if we can eat clean and control kind of those splurging impulses to eat 57 bananas because yep. we're not even hungry just craving them and because they're in an ice cream sundae <laughs> um so so that would be where i would start and i would as i would argue that three quarters of our my gym and maybe more than that in the world would benefit from starting there. And sometimes, like I said, I think we try to make things too hard too soon. I agree. It's the, should I run a marathon? Well, let's see if you can even run a mile first before we even worry about the marathon thing. So let's make sure we're eating clean first. Um, are we, you know, are we eating pop tarts for breakfast? Let's switch pop tarts to eggs. You don't have to do it as a rule, but right. Just that one transition I would argue is better than making sure your macros are on point. Right. Um, so we start there. Then again, going back into performance specific, I would say that yes. Then we would start working and looking at what are your goals. Mm-hmm. Using myself as an athlete, I'm a more endurance based athlete. You know, I, I like 
I do better on the events that are longer. I'm good at kind of tell people, I'm not a great athlete. I'm just better than most people at suffering. I'm willing to go into that pain cave and just keep going when everybody else wants to quit. Um, because I'm really competitive. And if I can make them suffer long enough, they'll give up and then I win. Um, or if I can, you know, not have a hangnail. Yeah, right. But, uh, the, uh, yeah, there. <laughs> now they're going to have to go watch the other episode to find out what that's all about. Yeah, right. But having said that, so, so for me, I'm a much higher carb ratio than a lot of other people because of it. Now, I have another one of my coaches who is a power athlete, an explosive, very strong athlete, and he's always you know, wanting to build more muscle mass. Mm-hmm. His protein is much higher than mine. And if we do, just putting into my realm, right, if we do a deck of strong, a 15-minute or shorter competition, he tends to beat me. He's faster and explosive. If we go out and run a two-hour event, you'll go run a high rocks or we run, you know, a half marathon, it's going to tip to my favor the longer the event goes on, mm-hmm. which, again, is why I need more carbs. So our coaches would, if you met with, you know, with, with Jess Williams, she would talk a little bit about your goals, and that would dictate where we would put your macros. And that would be at the point of you're already eating healthy. You're already, you know, got a regular lifestyle of activity, whether that's walking, running, going to the gym, you're doing, and then now we're trying to take it to that next level. I want to drop, you know, again, I'm at a, for many people, we're probably at a healthier body weight. You may want to drop down, you know, I want to see my abs pop and we need to get down, you know, for a guy maybe under 10% body fat. Okay, now we can dial these things in. But if we're at this crazy unhealthy BMI, we should get our carbs. I'm like, let's just be honest. If you're, and again, knowing my singling this out or picking on people if you're 150 pounds overweight you know past that healthy bmi like let's take some time to look at just getting some basic health parameters first before we worry about because i think the other part that's not looked at in all of this is stress Mm -hmm. and what the body does with stress and Mm -hmm. the reality is the human body doesn't know if you're stressed out because you think your boss might fire you today if there's a bear chasing you trying to eat you or if you just did a really intense workout in the gym, it just knows that your stress levels have been activated. The mm-hmm. fight or flight response, right, has been, I'm going to mess this up. You're going to be able to correct me, right? The parasympathetic has been fired up, right? For uh, sympathetic. Which one, which one is fight or flight? Sympathetic. Sympathetic, right? And so we spend so much time in the sympathetic that many of us are just not good at getting into the parasympathetic, right? We're not good at mm-hmm. in getting into that rest and relax, rest and digest yeah. um, thing. And so as simple or as silly as it sounds, if tracking your macros brings your stress level up, mm-hmm. we've kind of already put you again behind the eight ball. We put you in a negative spot where that's why I said, sometimes guys, you guys got to really understand, pick a fitness that you enjoy doing, which is why we do group fitness by us. Cause I believe the social atmosphere creates a more enjoyable experience. Not the only way. So if you're like, I'd rather put my headphones on and be all by myself listening to, you know, somebody screaming, angry music, then by all means do that because it's not right or wrong. If extending your intermittent fasting from your eight hours of sleep to your first three more hours of eating, you know, four more to 12, again, it's not right or wrong, but if it's adding extra stress to your life, if you're stressing out about that, it's the same thing with tracking calories. Right. <clears throat> I know people like spend they're at night sitting on their phone and they're tracking what they're going to eat the next day and they're stressed. And then they go to work and their boss invites them out to lunch and their whole day, you know, mm. I'm like, dude, you're all stressed out over your nutrition and we didn't even do anything that should be stressful yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then they're wondering why they're not getting results. <clears throat> so I would argue that, yes, again, macros, there's a great place. Should we probably have more protein than the other stuff? Yes. Mm-hmm. And I think it comes down to instead of so much, I tell people, before you worry about your macros, 
just look at kind of how you eat, just yeah. using a common example. Many of us, we go and we have, <clears throat> I don't know, a, a steak and a pasta salad, and we have two servings of pasta before we even get to the steak, and then we're full and we didn't finish our steak. Mm-hmm. I, I tell people, my encouragement to you is just, again, start with the healthier stuff and, you know, again, enjoy it. Enjoy the pasta. I'm not saying don't eat the pasta salad. I'm just make sure that I got my protein. So for me, like I don't track my macros. I did when I was on my 75 hard mm-hmm. and it was much, much more enjoyable to just go back to eating. And by the way, I, whatever, I lost my five or seven pounds during 75 hard. I put two of it back on. Mm-hmm. So it's not like I yo-yoed back off it because I said, that's why you don't have to live that strict. Like I did not enjoy those 75 days. Right. And for two pounds, wasn't even yeah. worth that amount of stress personally. Right. Yeah, no, and I think I think things are overcomplicated when it comes to the the macros and people put a lot of weight in it. It's like, well, ask your, sit back and ask yourself, in my opinion, a couple of questions. One, what's sustainable? And two, what do you feel better on? Do you feel better when you have a little bit more carb? Feel better when you have a little less carb, a little more fat? Like what works for you? And then rock with it. Like don't... Thanks. Don't overcomplicate it. I, I've, I've been talking to my brother and trying to help him with some of these things. And I've sent him what I've done. He's like, wow, that was way easier than I thought. And it's like, you don't have to make it complicated. Just find what works in your schedule, what you feel good with, and just be consistent. Like that's, that's honestly what it comes down to. I have a very, very close family friend that they're doing, in my opinion, way too drastic intermittent fasting. They were trying to eat all of their calories between 6 and 8 o'clock at night. Just because where their life schedule was, so I was that was when they could, you know, this couple when they could eat together. The problem I have with that is for the and this is gonna sound like I'm being sexist, and I'm genuinely not for the, the mom for the one who's doing the stay at home parent. So you, during the day, you're up, you're trying to keep up with five little kids, you're cooking them their meals, so you're trying to make sure you don't eat the mac and cheese because you don't get to eat till six o'clock. Mm-hmm. And two things trigger my head. None of us would ever even think about putting our kids on a plan like that. Mm-hmm. Well, if we don't think it's good for our kids, why are we so convinced it's good for us? Mm-hmm. Point one. Point number two, wondering why you have no energy? I think I can give you a good clue of where you're, again, battery saving mode is on until six o'clock. Mm-hmm. And will they lose some weight? I'm guessing that yes, they will lose some weight. Matter of fact, they'll probably lose some weight relatively quickly. Mm-hmm. Are they going to spend the rest of their life eating like this? Never going to breakfast with a friend ever again for the rest of the, you know, no. So as soon as they go to breakfast and they're like, oh man, I really missed nine o'clock, my cup of coffee and my egg sandwich. I would like to add that back in. Okay. Add that back in, you know, you know, get invited to, you know, Saturday lunch and you're gone. Oh, we had burgers on the grill. Summer's coming, right? They go back to normal. Most of that weight's going to just come right back on because what they did was not a sustainable long-term thing. So it was a short-term solution to a long-term problem. Mm-hmm. Where if they would have just, again, said, I'm not against intermittent fasting. I'm just against these extremes that we do think that we can get these magic fixes. Um, and here's a real quick plug. If there is a magic fix in fitness, it's strength training. Mm. If I could tell everybody whether they're on a weight loss journey, whether they're on a performance journey, whether they're on an anti-aging goal, strength training. Mm-hmm. The reality is the benefits for strength training because everybody's like, well, do hit, do long, steady cardio, do X. No, even, even people who want to lose weight, they keep taking more calories because, because now we have these goofy little things we wear on our wrists that tell us we burn 450 calories. And I'm like, well, for one, that watch has no idea 
what your actual BMR was. It just went a little bit off of somebody in your age demographic at your weight will have burned roughly X. Mm-hmm. And it has no, I'm like, so again, am I against people wearing heart rate monitors and watches? Absolutely not. They actually think there's a great useful tool until we take them to this extreme of, yeah. Hey, I've done this and stuff. So again, looking at this sustainable. So what happens then because of that is we do a strength workout and we go, uh, 110 calories for half hour. And then we go to the next day for cardio, 500 calories. I should do more cardio because I want to lose weight. And we went back to the calorie in, calorie out. And the more calories I burn, the more calories I can eat. And two problems with that. Number one, you'll never outwork your fork. So that's the goal of your workout. Two, again, and then I, I know a number of people at the gym who set a goal. I want to get to 120 pounds. And they got to 120 pounds and didn't look at all what they thought they would look like at 120. Oh, now I got to get to 110. And they got to 110 and still didn't look the way they wanted to look. Yeah. And I would argue part of it was because, yes, they lost weight, but they didn't add any muscle definition. And I'm not talking about bulking up and looking like a bodybuilder. Mm -hmm. I'm saying that most of us, when we look at the, I'm going to just be honest, going back to our original, if you want legs like Carrie Underwood, there's muscle involved. It's not just skinny. Mm-hmm. And so it's not about just being, and sometimes some of the ladies that we look at on the magazine covers or on the Instagram, are like, Oh, I'd like to look like that. They must only weigh a hundred pounds. They probably weigh significantly more than what you're guessing them at. Because again, you and I know it drives me nuts. The whole muscle weighs more than fat. Mm. No, it doesn't. A pound is a pound at 16 ounces. The density is different, which is why you can weigh a hundred pounds and weigh 120 pounds and fit in the same jeans if you have more muscle. And so I think sometimes, again, people get caught up in these numbers, calories in, calories out, and it ties. It just gets them caught in this vicious cycle. Mm-hmm. And then, oh, my goodness, well, I got down to 120, and I still am wearing whatever size jeans, and this isn't the size I want, and I don't look the way I thought I'd look in my head at 120. So I know, well, that's not working. So now let me look at this. Let me go and Google search, and, oh, I found the answer. It's that... I'm being too active and it's bad for my blood pressure. I'm just looking at our post, right? Yeah. And I'm like, so then we tried that. And oh, and so I guess the thing I would still coming back to, guys, pick something that is sustainable. Pick something that is somewhat enjoyable. Because if you have to suffer yourself through it, if you have to make yourself do it, people are always like, well, I don't have any motivation. I'm a pretty driven athlete. I have days where I have no motivation. Now, I'm also very disciplined, but here's the reality. My best friend and I have been racing together for four, four years now, five years. Rarely have we done a race where we haven't both done the race. Mm-hmm. He's run two half marathons and a 10-miler this month that I've not run with him. And he's running a marathon coming up here, and I'm not training for him with it. It's kind of a new thing for us. And funny because here's why. I'm not having fun with long-distance running right now. I would rather do some fast stuff. I'm having a lot of fun with high rocks and Deca. And so if I have two hours to train on a Saturday morning, I can go for a 12 mile run, 13 mile run, or I can go do a high rocks and one of them is fun. And one of them is work. And so I'm choosing to do the high rock stuff right now. That makes it easy. Cause I don't go to bed Friday night. going, Oh crap. I got to get up and do a 13 mile run tomorrow. That's, I think again, going back to like, Pick something you actually enjoy doing. Now, having said that, I do enjoy being around people. So if it came down to having to do the high rocks all by myself, then I'd probably go choose to go run with Paul. But there's a couple of us that are out running. There's a couple of us that are doing high rocks because that's what we're having fun with right now. I'm not saying that 
come this fall when I crush my high rocks goal that I might not say, okay, my new goal is to see if I can get that sub 140 half marathon and I'll go back to running again. Yeah. Also, the plus of doing that is twofold. I'm having fun. Keeps me more realistic. I don't have to rely strictly on discipline and motivation. Mm-hmm. Two, by switching things up, I'm not putting myself at the same level of risk for repetitive use injuries. Mm-hmm. I don't have to deal with the fact that the only thing I can do is run mm-hmm. because I got to get my running up. Mm-hmm. And so I think, again, look at kind of what do you enjoy? What's a good, sustainable life? And when I say what do you enjoy and then what's sustainable, what does your family situation look like? Again, my best friend is is single. His kids are older. He doesn't have a 17-month-old and a two-and-a-half-year-old at home. What his training life looks like and mine don't look exactly the same. doesn't mean we don't enjoy going and um, competing together. Right now, if we run a race, he's going to smoke me. Mm-hmm. If we do a DECA, I think it's going to go the other way. And uh, test that out. We should we should uh, put you guys back to back on a okay. Okay. And that's that's a humble way of saying I absolutely am going to win at the next deca. <laughs> so, yeah. um, I'm saying that to motivate him a little bit because he's been skipping his deca training. <laughs> yeah. But pick those sustainable things, and then when you find the nutrition, going back to kind of what we started with our, our post, I'm okay with trying most of these things. You want to go vegan? I mean, there's people that go vegan for you know for their their lifestyle, their religious choices. Again, I'm not telling people not to do that. Mm-hmm. Just know that as you're going through all those things, pick something that's sustainable for you. So, Because that's one thing, and that's completely different than a person going, oh, I'm going to give up meat for three months because I want to lose weight, and then in three months I'm going to add meat back in, and I'm going to wonder why I put the weight right back on again. Uh, so pick something that's actually sustainable for you. Don't go to the crazy extremes because I think every one of these things can have some truth in it until they're carried to the extreme. Exactly. Five meals a day, five small meals a day, can you do that and get results? Yes. If you live with this attitude that I can never go to a birthday party and have one big meal because I have to have my five a day or, yeah, again, not ideal. If you're someone who's really busy and so you're like, you're mind, I'm like, I'm going to have a shake in the morning and then I'll have my lunch after my first, you know, my morning class are done and I'll have a bigger supper at night. So I have, you know, kind of two shakes kind of in the middle and two bigger meals. Again, I'm living that. That also can work. But having said that, on my day off, I don't live by the, oh, my, I can only have a shake. If I want to get up and have breakfast on my day off, I'm going to get up and have breakfast. Because, right? again, I'm not taking any of them to the extreme. Um, running. Can you run? Yeah. <clears throat> Here's the thing I think, as a runner, whose sport, I should say, requires running. If you enjoy running, go run. If your body's telling you you need to rest day, don't be so rigid to your running that I got to run today. Listen to your your knees, your back, your hips. Your energy level. Mm-hmm. If you're someone who running hurts your knees, go for a walk. Again, you don't have to run to get results. You don't have to not run to get results or to live an optimal life. Um, I'm just trying to look at our post kind of make sure we didn't, like, you know, right? Yeah, right. Um, don't eat too much protein and make sure you're sleeping. <laughs> the one biggest rule I see on here is sleep. I think that many of us live chronically under-recovered lives. Matter of fact, I think more people live under-recovered than over-trained. And I think you're like, well, you know, that's semantic. No, I think there's a big difference. Over-training would be this point of I'm going to the gym seven times a day and I'm just beating myself to a pulp. It doesn't matter how much you're sleeping. If you're if you're bench pressing max bench presses four times a day, seven days a week, you're overtraining your chest. Mm-hmm. If you're running 57 miles a day, you're overtraining your knees. I, even if you're an elite runner, I'm sorry. I think again. Now, having said that, can you train once or twice? I, tell you, I do frequently do two-a-day workouts. They're built into a plan of where I'm doing. So I don't do cardio back-to-back just for burning calories. Mm-hmm. I might – I'm just using an example. The other day. 
I did a hep, my, my chest and back was a high volume day for me. So I, you know, I did my high reps, not crazy weight, but again, I had a good chest and back day. And then later that evening, I went and I did a max incline walk on a treadmill. It was a walk. It was at incline. So I had my whole goal was I had to stay in the blue. So I didn't beat myself up. Now it was building up for me again. My plan was a part of a base building for my cardiovascular health, right? I'm not against that. I said, what I didn't do was go and go red in my zone as hard as I could in the morning and then go back and do it again at night and then get up and go the next morning. So again, if there's a plan, I'm not against two a days. People do it all the time in football for short seasons, right? So I'm like, you can do this. But now having said that, I made sure that my nutrition was on point and I made sure that I never got less than seven hours of sleep. I track my sleep. So like, mm. watch it. I, you know, I wear a whoop on my wrist. So I know what my heart, my resting heart rate is. I know what my heart rate variability is. So I know all this recovery metrics. So if I wake up and my thing is saying, Hey, your resting heart rate skyrocketed. I'm not doing a double that day. Mm-hmm. And so I, th- I think that part of like, so that's the difference of origin. under recovering is more of this. I worked out and I went to my really stressful job and I have some things going on at home that are really stressing me out right now. And I got three hours of sleep last night and I'm back in the gym training again. That's under recovering. Yeah. And what people, again, this, I'll argue, this is a rule. This is one of those things where you can, you can, you can put your flag on this. You don't get better working out in the gym. You get better recovering from the workout in the gym, Mm -hmm. right? If we lift weights, we break those muscles down. We get better when the body rebuilds those muscles stronger. Mm -hmm. Even if you're going to look at cardiovascular health, again, cardio, right? It's not about, I got better because I burned these calories or because I pushed my heart rate up. It's the body learning how to adapt to that heart rate going up and coming back down into a healthy range. And going back to my goal, like when I talked about that incline walk, I had to stay in that zone because my goal was I want to push my resting heart rate down. Mm. Now, um, I sit kind of in that high 40s, right? And I'd like to get to mid 40s. And so when I'm looking at that, I'm like, if I would have gotten the treadmill and ran quarter mile repeats, you know, red, red, that doesn't trigger the response in my heart to go for resting heart rate. That triggers my recovery ability, right? Wrong, you know, wrong side of the heart that I'm working. Mm-hmm. And again, that's that part where I think people don't look at just pick, picking a program, sticking to the actual program, because there's a design and a purpose for what they're doing. At least there should be if you've got a good coach. Right. And then putting in those pieces, make sure all those pieces are in, and then even having that flexibility. So if we had it the other day, you know, one of our kids was really sick. My wife got like almost no sleep that night. If her program called for a 10 mile run the next day, we're not going to do that. Even if that is in a built in solid program, because right. just life has changed. And so we're going to make that quick adjustment. Now, having said that her nutrition may also have been higher loaded with carbs because of the fact that she had a 10 mile run that day. Again, maybe we adjust that. A little. So that's where I tell, again, when you make these hard, fast rules, that's where I think where people get in problems. Mm-hmm. Instead, life happens, flow with that, enjoy life. So imagine the stress level my wife would have been under instead had we said, nope, you have a 10-mile run today. I don't care if you've got one hour of sleep. I don't care that your kids are sick. you got to get a 10-mile. Oh, and then she, she went and did it. Would have been at a significantly higher risk for injury at that level because of the fatigue. Would have came back, probably completely burned out. Maybe a little cranky because energy saving mode, mm-hmm. much likelier, higher likelihood that she would have snapped at me or at the kids, which would have made her feel even worse. So then she'd have went to bed all stressed out because oh, I yelled at the kids for something I wasn't even, and my wife didn't. So like, I'm just, <laughs> I'm trying to put this in a scenario that people live in this day in and day out and day in and day out. And then they worry about calories in versus calories out. And I'm like, you're missing the forest for the trees. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And I think. I think that sums it up pretty good is like, just figure out what works for you, be consistent with it. And then, I mean, that's where coaches come into play too, is reach out for help if you have questions about it. I think that says 
simple as we can make that. <laughs> like there's there's no perfect way. There's no perfect routine. You have to kind of figure out what works for you and just be consistent. Yep. Give yourself a little bit of grace too. Like you don't have to be perfect. Exactly. And this is just how I'm wired. I'm a, I'm a goals guy. And so I push all my coaches. I tell people goals. I I think that goals have a magic power to them in that sense of when we're aimless, it's just too easy to skip your workout because there's just, you know, if all you're working out for is a calorie burn, it's like pick a goal, have some fun chasing that goal. Enjoy the process as much as just the goal. Like, again, I have this big goal for high rocks come fall, but I'm enjoying training with my team for it too. I'm enjoying the process as well, which makes me more likely to keep it up and stay consistent. So, so pick a goal, be smart about that. I'm not going to have legs that look like Carrie Underwood's. <laughs> so picking that as a goal, I'm like, and I'm not going to match Hunter McIntyre's 55 minute high rocks time. Like I know that you're going to Nick, you're making excuses and I'm not a fan of excuses. I'm like, I'm just going to be honest. Like guys, where I'm at right now, I've got a brand new business. I've got an amazing wife that I like to actually see. Mm-hmm. I have two little kids that, you know, I have the, if you go in the dictionary and look up daddy's girl, they have a picture of my daughter. Cause I have the poster <laughs> child daddy's girl. Um, and I'm loving that. It took me five tries of having kids to get a daddy's girl. Right. So, um, I'm loving that. Like, it's really cool. Cause you don't see it very often where, you know, um, the other day my daughter had a meltdown because my wife came and sat by me on the couch and she took her spot. That's her spot sitting next to daddy. I'm like, I have a full on day. I don't want to train 10 hours a day to, to beat Hunter McIntyre right now and give up these moments with my daughter and stuff. So pick a goal that fits with your lifestyle that won't add stress to it, that you can enjoy doing it. Ideally, if you can get your family and friends involved, even better, mm-hmm. then make your nutrition kind of line up with that. If, you know, if you're going to minimally process, again, going back to that family friend that's going on the intermittent fasting, instead of doing all my calories in two hours, but not doing that for my kids, try to get something that you can get the whole family on board. Because imagine, again, what we could do if we could just make all of our families healthy together. You know, so that'd be my challenge. Like, have fun with it. Be consistent. If you're going to look for a magic pill, the only one that I know of after eight years in the industry, strength training, because going back to that kind of last little plug, get a coach. You're doing good reps. It's not about how heavy you lift. Sometimes we get caught up in this no pain, no gain. That phrase really needs to get taken out of the mm-hmm. fitness industry and always lifting heavier with bad form. I personally believe we should never stack training upon poor movement patterns. Mm-hmm. Learn to move well first. Otherwise we're just, again, looking for an injury to happen. Um, I was working out with someone the other day and, um, they wanted to use the heaviest weight, you know, stuff and what we were doing and we're, we're doing wall balls and their knees are caving in with every rep and they're struggling, but they want to stay with this heavy weight. And I'm like, you'd get so much more out of the, so much more benefit going with a little bit lighter weight right now and just really cleaning up the form of those reps and stuff. And so again, strength train, but strength train smart. So get either get a coach or make sure you know what you're doing with that strength train. And then focus on just, again, that smart recovery process that you can break those muscles down, build those muscles back up. And what you might find is even though you're like, Oh, I only burned 120 calories today on my strength training, your body's going to start changing to the, what probably what you're actually picturing in your mind that you want to be at in that goal weight and look. And more than that, it also brings into health. I mean, studies have shown we as a country consume more milk than any other country in the world, right? And the geniuses in the dairy industry, milk, you know, big, strong bones. We do not have the highest bone density in the world. Statistically, some of the countries that um, are poor countries, but where, um, for even it's the ladies, but where people carry the water pots on their heads, you know, back, to the thing, they have much higher bone densities. And studies have shown it's because they do load bearing or weight bearing activities, right? It's the, it's the 
they're carrying more than their body weight thing. So tell people, it's not just the drinking the milk. It's the going back to that weight training, building that carrying extra weight that builds, it helps with osteoporosis. It helps with aging. So again, you want the magic pill in fitness. You should be in the gym, lifting weights safely and at a weight that you can actually control for good control three or two to three times a week. And then if you want to add in some cardio for fun, great, do that. But focus on that and the calories in calories out won't be as important. If you just simply eat healthy and do that. Yep. Boom. I think that's a good place to end it. <laughs> I think that's a good, I think we covered everything. So, um, appreciate the time. And appreciate hey, thank the time. you so much for having me on. For sure. For sure. I think this will answer a lot of the questions and obviously if not, like definitely reach out to, to you guys. Um, if they do have any further questions. Yeah, because as much as I wish I could tell you my gym is the only gym to get results, we're just a gym that has the most fun. <laughs> <laughs> no, find what works for you guys. And I guess if I could make a plug on the end, even if my gym is not the right fit, and I think Trevor would tell you the same thing, reach out to him or myself, and we'll try to help you find the right fit. Because Absolutely. That's the most if you can get part. you in a healthy scenario that works for you in your scenario and situation, that's the ideal. I'd I'm on a mission to wipe out obesity in Green Bay, mm-hmm. not because I'm going to get everybody in my gym, but if we can get the whole city just moving and having fun being healthy, just imagine what we can do in the world. Yeah, it's a lot. A lot could be done. Awesome. Awesome, Nick. Thank you. Appreciate it. You bet. Thanks for having me. Yeah, for sure. If you would like more information about us at Movement Performance and Rehab or information on one of our guests, or if you have a contact that would be a good guest for this podcast, please send us an email at info at mvmtgb.com. That's info at movementgb.com.